Welcome to episode number 30 of the Jackson Hole Connection. My name is Stephan Abrams, and I'm your host. My guest today is Dr. Jim Dever, professor with Florida State University. For transparency's sake, I want everyone to know Jim is a cousin of mine from my father's side. I'm Jim's connection to Jackson Hole. Last week, my family and I traveled to Florida to visit with Jim and his wife, Faye. Throughout my life, Jim and Faye have inspired me to grow into the person I am today. I've had the opportunity to learn so much about life, family, and business from both of them. The thought behind this episode is to share with you Jim's inspiring life story. Beginning at the age of nine, after his father's passing, Jim always worked hard to provide for his family. Jim built 10 companies from the ground up, all with integrity, perseverance, and the willingness to invest in himself and others around him. And today, with a PhD in entrepreneurship, through teaching and lecturing, Jim is touching many lives. I hope you will enjoy Jim's story as much as I've enjoyed growing up around him. A small side note about some background noise in this episode. It is most likely my kids playing in another room or other activity in the house. I hope it's not too distracting. Before we begin, I have a quick word from one of my sponsors. Jackson Hole Marketplace, the small market in Jackson Hole with a huge reach. Stop in for hot coffee and homemade breakfast in the morning, awesome lunches in the afternoon, and finish the day with a soft serve ice cream and a six pack of beer. Need catering for breakfast or lunch? They can do it and deliver for free. Want to know more? Visit jhmarketplace.com. So this morning's episode is really special to me and exciting because I've traveled down to Florida, Panama City, Florida, and I'm with some cousins of mine, and I'm sitting right now with Dr. Jim Dever. Jim, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Stefan? Oh, I'm spectacular. Good. Jim, let's start everybody out by telling them a little bit about your background and history. Where'd you grow up, and tell them about how you grew up. Okay, Stefan, I, uh, I grew up in Mississippi, uh, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. My mom raised me and my brother and sister by herself. Our father passed away when I was nine years old. Uh, she did a, a, what I think is an extraordinary job and uh, taught us right from wrong, taught us how to, how to be good people, and uh, I sort of took it from there. Well, I would certainly say your mom did spectacular work with you because knowing your wife and, and your children and the things that you have accomplished in your life is absolutely remarkable. And in the introduction when I was speaking, I referred to you as Dr. Jim Dever. Tell everybody what degree you have that has earned you the title of Dr. Jim Dever and how that came about. Okay. When I was... 50 years old, my wife and I were sitting in our living room one night having a discussion, and I was pontificating about what a great life we had had, and my wife never looked up from her book she was reading, and uh, she informed me that I had never graduated from college. And again, I was at 50 years old. So uh, the very next morning, I went to Florida State University in Panama City to see about getting a college degree, I guess, just to prove her wrong. And uh, I was informed that I couldn't get in Florida State because my grades from the 60s were so bad. Uh, I actually had a 167 GPA uh, <laughs> with a four-point system. If it had been a two-point system, I'd have been all right. But uh, I, uh, I had a 167 GPA. So I had to go back to a two-year community college and start over. 
and uh, basically did start over at 50 and absolutely fell in love with working with the college students. I was already retired uh, from my businesses from many years ago, so I had time. And uh, I found a new passion in my life, and that was teaching uh, from experience mostly. And uh, I got my AA degree, and I had to go on uh, then just driven. Uh, Florida State had to accept me and uh, because I had my AA. And uh, I was able to get into Florida State University, and I obtained a bachelor's degree from Florida State. Uh, went on then and was able to get into the master's program. And while I was doing the master's program, uh, I was awarded a Fulbright scholarship from the U.S. State Department. And Faye and I traveled to Kazakhstan, where I taught uh, to fulfill my Fulbright obligation. And while there, I uh, found a PhD program in uh, Glasgow, Scotland, at the University of Strathclyde. I flew from Kazakhstan to Glasgow and uh, was able to get into a PhD program that day. So that's how it ended up. So at 56, I started, uh, I'm sorry, 54, I started working on my PhD uh, in entrepreneurship and was granted a, a PhD in entrepreneurship from Glasgow or from Strathclyde University in Glasgow at the age of 60. So really proud of it. I'm the only PhD on Florida State campus with a PhD in entrepreneurship. Congratulations on, on earning your PhD and also to Faye for calling you out about your college <laughs> degree. She certainly did. That's, that's her style. We, we were partners in business for many years, and, uh, and uh, we, we figured out early on that the best thing was straight honesty, and so she was just being honest. During your career, and, and also clarifying a little bit, the other night you said when you were a child, you had a goal of when you were going to retire. Right. And, and what was that goal? <clears throat> well, at the age of nine, my father passed away from a heart attack. As a child, I made a goal in my life that I would retire at 41 years. And uh, when I married Faye, I, uh, I was 21, and I told her, I said, now, we're going to get married if you would like, but I said, something you need to know is that I'm going to retire when I turn 41. And she said, are you going to quit or retire? I said, I have no idea. I just know I'm not going to work anymore. And so she said, well, I'm going to marry you just to see if... Uh, if it comes true and so I never lost sight of that goal and uh, this is something I teach my students the importance of goal setting and of course goals have to be attainable they have to be you know time restricted and things like that but it's something as a child I just knew that's what I wanted to do and sure enough when I turned 41 I retired and sold all of our businesses, and we played for nine years. We traveled the whole world, went to six of the seven continents and uh, all 50 states, and uh, that's what we did. Went back to school at 50. I, I think it's spectacular that you accomplished that goal and also for you to have set that goal when you were nine years old. And congratulations. And, and we're going to get into more about what you're doing now and some of the 
leadership and impacts that you've made since you've retired? Because even though you're retired, you're still very influential in people's lives. But going back to when you were working, you were an entrepreneur. True, yes. And you held businesses in how many different industries? Oh, gracious. In the industries, we had 10 companies uh, when I retired. We had... uh, we had two trucking companies. We had uh, three restaurants. We had two hotels, one in Panama City, uh, on Panama City Beach, and then one in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. We had uh, a travel agency, a construction company, a sheetrock company, or drywall, as some people call it. We had um, a TV repair shop, and uh, all of these companies were born out of my ability for opportunity recognition. Uh, I saw a need for a company, and I was able to build those companies. And so we had 10 companies. We had fabulous employees, uh, and Faye Faye and I worked shoulder to shoulder to make them successful. During your career, you and Faye working shoulder to shoulder and starting these businesses, what were some of the philosophies that you had for you and Faye to know that you could operate a successful business? To me, it's quite simple. And this is what I teach my students at Florida State now. I am convinced that if a person knows how to operate a business, they can operate any business. And I know that someone probably will laugh right now and say, sure, that's not true. But uh, it is true. And it's uh, a situation just recently I spoke to a group of doctors and we discussed this very thing that you know the only thing different from one business to another is the product or the service you still every business has customers every business has income every business has insurance problems taxes all of the things that go into businesses so if you look at it closely just like yourself you're you're the owner of a whiskey store Um, There is no difference in your whiskey store in my motel, except you're selling booze and I sold beds. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you still have employees, you still have all of these things the same, except for the product or service. And so once you get one figured out and you see a need for a second business or in the community, you know, we build companies because of people's pain. We see people's needs, and we call it pain in entrepreneurship. And you build companies to relieve that pain, and that's what happens. Uh, I agree. And when you boil business down, it it comes down to to understanding the core side of it. But for me, what's also important, and what I've learned from you over the years, is relationships. It's how you develop relationships and how you not just develop the relationships but maintain those relationships and I've seen from you since a little kid that you are a person who can certainly build a relationship with just about anyone right well that's true they're not always good though Uh, (laughs) (laughs) sometimes they're a bit caustic but uh uh, no, you are right. And, and before we had the terminology networking and all this good stuff, I understood early on that one must have 
other people involved in their businesses, and be it competitors, be it customers. Uh, it's funny, I was telling my class just last week, we were talking about a SWOT analysis. And I told them, I said, guys, before I went back to college, I had no idea that there was such a thing as a SWOT analysis. But I figured out that I had been doing them for years. Uh, I would ask my employees, tell me what our customers think. Tell me what our suppliers think. Tell me what's going on outside of our business that you see. And we actually talked about opportunities uh, and threats. And I, I guess that, you know, I, I say that we were doing these analyses in a, in a crude fashion, but yet we still did the work. And these relationships that you refer to were a big part of that because we could rely on our customers and our uh, suppliers and just the people involved in our businesses to help us figure out what was working and what wasn't working. And I depended on it. Thank you for sharing that. And what I just took away is you did not operate in a vacuum. Not you, at all. You relied on other people sure. for information. Sure. You, you, you can't operate in a vacuum. You can't, as you say. It takes a lot of effort. The biggest, I guess, plus that I found in my businesses was learning to work with my competitors. Um, an example of this, I had a restaurant in Hattiesburg, Mississippi uh, called Cane Creek. The bank called me and said, we have foreclosed on a on a big restaurant here in, in Hattiesburg, would you like to buy it? Well, it was, I think, seven acres of land in this beautiful rustic building, complete restaurant, tables, chairs, silverware, napkins, everything. Went and looked at it, and I said, sure, I'll take it. So Faye and I bought it. She was a little shocked when I called, said, I've got good news and bad <laughs> news. And, uh, but uh, anyway, um, the first thing I did is went and visited with every single restaurant that did the same thing in Hattiesburg. <clears throat> I went in, told them, I said, here's who I am. Here's what I'm planning to do. Here's what I'm going to charge. No secrets, no fighting. Let's, let's try to get along. And they began to share their, their secrets with me. And we worked together. And there is success when people work together. I see these, these young people when they fight with their competitors or they try to and they think that that's how you're supposed to go about being in business and it's not. Now, a, a fine competitive rivalry, that's good for you. It keeps you sharp. Uh, it keeps your prices in line. It keeps you on your toes. But by the same token, uh, if some of these other restaurants ran out of potatoes, they knew they could call me and say, hey Jim, can we get a sack of potatoes from you? Uh, sure, come get them. And next time they got a truck, they paid them back. And that's how we operated for a long time. And uh, I did this in, in all my businesses. It's kind of like going to your neighbor and saying, can I buy a cup, borrow a Bar cup of sugar? Exactly. And, and that's what it comes down to. Uh, again, competitors are the grandest thing that we can have in business. If we get rid of competitors, if we're able to buy out our competitors and, and we're the only game in town, we're going to get sloppy. And that's just how it works. I agree. And sometimes you can learn some of the best ideas and ways to operate from sure. your competitors. from your competitors. Uh, I recently had a discussion with a really high official at Florida State. Two of my students uh, started, one started a business, uh, yeah, and he was very successful. I mean, the kid was making 10000 bucks a month. 
huh. off of a business that he started in class, in my class. And another student in that class, after the semester was over, copied his exact company down to his website. And the young man who got copied, his dad called the uh, university and complained. And of course, the university called me in to say, hey, you know, why is this happening? Why'd you allow it? And I didn't say anything other than I didn't allow it. I encourage it. I want this to happen. Uh, we don't go out and build companies just out of the clear blue with no planning or anything else. Our, our ideas come from others. And that's the best form of flattery, I think. Believe me, if I ever want to open a whiskey store, I'm coming to Jackson Hole. All right. <laughs> see how you do it. And I'm going to copy what you do. And that's what we do in business. And it's not immoral, illegal, or anything else. It is, it's how business works. And so uh, the outcome was, I was asked point blank, did you, why is this happening? And I said, hey, I encouraged it to happen. As a result, the two guys have worked out their differences and uh, uh, both of them have increased their prices. Their, their profit continues to be extreme. Uh, it's kind of neat because they don't do much advertising. Everything's on Instagram and uh, these kids are, are just blowing and going. So, That's phenomenal, amazing. and and to hear how that competition just grew organically is so important. And probably one student had a pain point that the other student wasn't satisfying or solving, True. and so he decided, "Hey, yeah. I can do something well, just as good." Yeah, and and he did. He he certainly did. And but again, this keeps everybody on their toes, and uh, and this is why I like competition. This is why I like having the relationships that we talk about because we do know what our friends, our competitors, our relations, what they're doing at all times. So now that you are retired and then you went and obtained your, earned your PhD right. in education for entrepreneurship to be an educator. Mm -hmm. And so you are now a professor at Florida State University. Right, in Tallahassee. In, okay. What are some of the things as a professor that you enjoy seeing with driving your students or leading your students down the path of life and business? You didn't tell me you were going to ask me all these hard questions, Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> This is what happens when the interviewer's smarter than the interviewee. No, I, I think the greatest joy comes when I have these students, and, and of course these were in my entrepreneurship classes. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about it. What we did in the, in the entrepreneurship program was that we actually funded companies for kids. It was an experiential class, and we really didn't, give them any advanced knowledge about entrepreneurship or what you should do right or what you should do wrong. Uh, the, the information they ultimately gained in getting their degree, we took them as brand new students and uh, basically threw them in the lake. They had to, to sink or swim. They started to create their own ideas and I helped them formulate their ideas. Uh, and some fabulous, some not so good, but, but most very good. And we gave them money to start these companies. One of the big myths in business that 
uh, it takes a lot of money to start companies and it really does not take a lot of money to start some companies and so I made the students start very small companies with very little money uh, we had companies there's there's one in operation right now a sock company that we started for seven hundred dollars uh, the young men ordered socks that were rather outlandish, uh, began to sell them, but they had the uh, idea to give a pair of socks to every, uh, for every one they sold, they gave a pair to uh, the rescue mission. And uh, they just got back their second trip to China. They now have, I think, five sock-making machines. They're, they're creating their own designs. they got got 100 employees. These young men are going great guns. What's the name of this sock company? It's called Divvy Up. D-I-V-V-Y Up. All right. And, uh, we'll they put that are, in the show notes for everybody to look okay. that up. And they're they're just phenomenal young men. And this is an example. We have other, other companies. Uh, we have a young man that started a dog leash company. He got the idea to take mountaineering rope and make leashes out of it, uh, out of the rope. And uh, he marketed his company very wisely I think he began to advertise strictly on Instagram and uh, uh, he would send a sports figure for instance uh, a, a leash and a harness or a collar for his dog and just ask him to post it on his Instagram site and uh, the orders poured in and this kid just did absolutely phenomenal I think we started it with three hundred dollars um, What's the name of the leash company? It's called Kona Leash, K-O-N-A. Okay. Kona Leash. And um, uh, I hadn't looked him up lately. I'm assuming he's still in business. but. Uh, you know. I, I think with those two stories alone and going back to the pain point area and competition, when people think about socks, how many different companies make socks and different brands of socks it, you would almost think that the market is flooded, but your students found a way to carve a small niche in this big market, and it, they didn't become dissuaded by it. Sure. They, they had their mission, their vision, and they pushed forward. Right. And the, the thing about it, it's like I said earlier, though. I mean, the idea that they came up with to make it a niche was to give a pair of socks away. Well, that's not original. Tom's Shoes has been giving a pair of shoes away to needy folks overseas every time you buy a pair of his shoes. That's right. And so, you know, it was a matter of them uh, strictly just coming up with, hey, what can we do to make our company stand out just a little? Uh, it's quite funny because the president of the university, uh, Mr. John Thrasher, he's just a wonderful guy. He... Uh, at graduation, when one of my students, I forget which one it was in, the comp in that company, when, uh, when that young man walked across the stage, President Thrasher lifted his graduation robe, pulled up his pants leg, and held his, held his <laughs> foot up, and he had a pair of divvy, sock, divvy up socks on. So, you know, this really makes you feel good. It makes you aware that, you know, we as people, it takes an entrepreneurial spirit uh, it takes entrepreneurial drive uh, and an idea, and that's that's what it takes. People, honest to goodness, you just don't have to have buckets of money. 
Now, if you're going to build a new business uh, and you want a building of your own and you want all these things, uh, that's fine. But, uh, you know, Faye and I started a travel agency one time and we started it for $8,500. The most expensive thing I had in the whole travel agency was a mural of the world on the back wall and it was a big vinyl map that I put up myself on this sheetrocked wall. Uh, this, the, uh, the company looked like we had spent a million dollars on it and I had rented computers because at that time computers were very expensive so I rented them. Uh, we were in a rented space and uh, we ultimately sold the company and did quite well on it. In fact we sold it for about 12 times what we built it for and uh, shortly thereafter the internet came along. <laughs> so, you know, but that's how things are in business. That's right. There are different cycles in business. It's All right. Business, in my opinion, is a live a living, breathing entity. Oh, of course. Yes. And and it takes people such as yourself to to fuel that and feed that living, yeah. breathing entity. And congratulations and kudos to the successful businesses that you yeah. you started and operated and and also the point that you're that you're driving home it doesn't take buckets of money to start yeah. something it just right. takes the idea and the drive and the passion that's it that's all that's exactly what it takes and and uh, it's really funny because you can find people with that that say you know I want to start something but I just don't have the money there's always a way around it. Always. Mm -hmm. and, unless you're going to become the next person in your business is going to be to solve cancer, then yeah, you yeah. might need buckets might, of might money. Might need some money. Yeah. Yeah. But, but just to go out and start an entrepreneurial venture, one of my businesses, as I said, was a TV repair shop. And this came about because I couldn't get the sets fixed at my motels. Huh. Uh, they were ripping me off, and it really made me mad. This was back when you repaired televisions. Uh, nowadays, they're disposable. You throw them away when they break. But we had all these motels on Panama City Beach, and uh, we were having to send them, as we called it, across the bridge into town to get them fixed, and they wanted $50, $60 every time we had one worked on. It really hurt our feelings that, you know, this is we're getting r ripped off. And so I found a young man that could fix TVs, and I bought a house. I turned it into a TV repair shop. Uh, it had a sign out front that uh, someone had a previous TV shop in there, uh, and I just painted out part of the sign, and it left the name Beach TV up there. And, uh, and that's how it got its name, and that's how the company began. And again, it turned into the TV shop on Panama City Beach. And uh, we, we fixed TVs for every motel on the beach. The young man and the others that worked there, you know, we fixed 50 to 60 TVs every day and, uh, and sold, you know, had a showroom, the whole bit. And it evolved into a big business. That's spectacular. So folks listening today, when that point of pain becomes so sharp, you have the opportunity to make a difference. And whether it's in business or just regular life, you have the opportunity to make a difference and to make a change and solve the problem. Sure. And I appreciate you 
sharing these stories and these lessons with us today. So you've done more than just being a professor at Florida State University. You know, it gets all mixed up when you're an Alabama grad, and Alabama's <laughs> the best and brightest university out there. <laughs> um, but you've, you've made some other accomplishments during your time of retirement, let's just say, put that in quotes. What was something that you recently did for veterans? Oh, a wonderful thing that, we're, that we work with. Um, there's a, a program that was started at Syracuse University called the Entrepreneurial Boot Camp for Disabled Veterans. And this has been going on for 10, at least 10 years now, back when there were very few veterans programs. And uh, a man up at Syracuse saw the need for educating these veterans that were coming home uh, disabled. And uh, the program he created there at Syracuse, he was very protective of it. Uh, we call it the EBV program, and so we don't, uh, he let it out to different ones, uh, different universities. It ended up at seven universities, and you really had to have a connection to be able to get it. And so I was fortunate enough through a man at our university that knew of the program and, and got it for us. And so we set up the EBV program every summer for these disabled vets. And what a joy to be able to share with these guys about how do you build a company, how do you... And they've had nothing but military training their whole life. All at once they're back with, with some with severe disabilities. To help them start these companies that they wanted to start was just over the top. Uh, this turned into uh, other programs. Uh, there are big national sponsors have signed on. The program has turned into a just a tremendous blessing for so many of our veterans that are coming home. I was just asked this week to do a, um, a video for the program. Uh, I think it's called Boots to Business through the Small Business Administration. And uh, so I'm going to participate in that in the fall and again try to help veterans that uh, that need help we don't make any money doing this it's all volunteer but my goodness when you get an email from a a guy that says thank you that's all that matters you know it's it's not a uh, we don't want to make anything we don't want to do anything except see these guys who have been hurt succeed that's that's a fascinating story and i appreciate you sharing that story and also helping the veterans find their own path right. uh, to success in, when they come back. Jim, these life lessons that you've shared today have been spectacular, and I hope for all the listeners out there that they can find somebody like you in their life out there who can be as influential as you have been for me. And I say that with the greatest sincerity out there. And for people who might have a question for you, what is the best way for somebody to reach you? Okay, the, the best thing would be via email uh, at my FSU address, which is jdever, J-D-E-V-E-R, at fsu.edu. Drop me a line and I'll be more than happy to respond. Uh, it might be that if your answer requires too much typing, I'm an old man. 
uh, may call, may send back an email and ask you to send me a phone number, and I'll be more than happy to give you a call. I I really enjoy helping people trying to succeed in business. Uh, just got an email this week from a veteran. I have no idea who he is, but he's trying to start a company, and we will begin a a conversation to to help him. So, yeah, if you're folks that listen to this thing want to to ask a question or if I can help someone, tell them to contact me. jdever at fsu.edu. Spectacular. Well, Jim, we've had a great time down here in Florida. You and Faye have been so hospitable to us and you being with the boys has been very special to me. Good. And you sitting down and taking the time to share some of your history and past and inspiration with the listeners. I appreciate it very much. Well, thank you. I enjoyed doing this, Stefan, and I'm really proud of you. Thank you. All right. Keep it up. Is it okay to pair beer with Beef Wellington? Does Merlot go with Red Bull? Not sure how to make the perfect bourbon and Coke? Well, the team at the liquor store of Jackson Hole can answer all of these questions plus more. Stop in at 115 Buffalo Way, Jackson, Wyoming, or visit us at tlsofjh.com to experience service that will knock your socks off. The liquor store has been serving the Jackson Hole Valley for over 35 years. Thank you everyone for tuning in today to the Jackson Hole Connection. I hope you have enjoyed listening and can take away a little nugget about life. I'm always looking for fun guests who have a connection to Jackson Hole. Know of someone who would be great to be on the show? Please send me an email to connect at thejacksonholeconnection.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Jackson Hole Connection on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you receive your podcasts. A special shout out to my friend Luke Taylor for producing and providing the tunes for this podcast. Luke, you help bring it all together. Y'all come back again. You hear?